Hello, and welcome again. Would you please pray with me? God of grace, God of mercy, God of Sabbath, rest, and exodus justice, be with us this day and all days to help us know you in our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies, and our words. May the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, the actions of our hands and feet be given over to you. And when they are not, may we rest in your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first, I would like you all to put on your tech support hat. I'm going to ask you to be tech support for a minute. Uh, imagine for a moment that one of your friends who is like constantly, their laptop is breaking down, right? Or your aunt who can never quite figure out Facebook. Uh, or anyone in your life who kind of calls to ask you for help or uh, come over to their, their house for help with any piece of technology in the world has called you and said, it's not working. My ex is not working. My toaster, my refrigerator, my computer, my whatever, my phone. If that's all you know, what are some of the things that you might recommend to them? What are you going to tell them to do? What are you going to? Did you try? You got it. Did you try turning it off and turning it back on again? These are the two number one pieces of advice, right? Is it plugged in? That's, that's number one A. And then, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on, back on again? The magic wand. The essential gift, the almost always, although not always, works uh, trick with the technology that surrounds us is turn it off and turn it back on again. And I'm sure you all know, right? You've had that miracle moment where Chrome wouldn't work or where the magic wheel of death was staring you in the face and you turned it off and you turned it back on again and everything was just right with the world. I don't know why, um, you know, but I know that it works. I also know that as uh, aggressive as I am about using that tactic, using that technique with my stuff, uh, that is just how hesitant I am to use it with myself, uh, to use it with my life. How many of us, when we are feeling broken down, <laughs> when our operating system is operating at full capacity, feels like it can't take one more thing, when we are weary, when we are hurt, when we are in pain, how many of us take that opportunity to turn it all off? To turn it all off, to unplug, to exempt ourselves, to be quiet, to let go, and then turn it back on. How many of you are seeking out life reboots, life recharges, turning everything off so that you have a little time to rest? and seek something new. I think not a lot of us. I think not a lot of us because I know you and we're friends and we talk about our lives. But I also think not a lot of us because we live in a culture where taking rest, where unplugging, where turning things off is a profoundly countercultural act. We live in a society that is not set up for turning things off. Uh, one of the new time use surveys came out, right, where they ask Americans, how are you using your time? How are things going? Uh, and I looked at the statistics for work. The average number of hours that Americans report working, and this probably includes, right, lots of folks who are underemployed, um, who can't get the jobs that they want or need. The average is not 40 hours, but the average is 47. 
And one in five of us are working over 60 hours a week at one, two, three or more jobs. Over 60 hours a week, we are working a lot. At the beginning of the 20th century, economists wrote screeds, wrote texts, wrote books asking the question, when robots do everything for us, how will we spend all of our leisure time? That's what they thought 2016 would look like, but instead 2016 looks like we work more than we did 40 years ago. We have added hours and we're getting less and less out of them. In many countries that have practiced a siesta for centuries, uh, in Mexico and a few Central American countries, now in Spain, the government has mandated that siestas be taken away, right? No more siesta, no more practice of rest in the afternoon. We are not being productive enough. Let's take away this part of our culture where everyone has shared lunch and shared time and get rid of it. Productivity matters, rest and turning off do not matter. This is the culture we are living in. These are the burdens we are bearing. And it goes from the very beginning. At kindergartens across the country, including kindergarten right here in Chicago, uh, recess is getting taken away, right? Fewer and fewer minutes of recess because we need more instructional time for testing. There are kindergart kindergartens that have taken away naps in multiple states in the United States of America because instructional time is needed to meet the goals that have been set for schooling. Our spaces for rest, our spaces for reflection, our spaces for turning things off, especially our public and communal ones, especially our societal wide ones, are being slowly chipped away at, taken away from us, and we are being told that they are wastes of time that we are not worth the rest we crave. We are not worth the turning off that might restore us. We are in many different situations here in this room and in the world, and for many of us, that rest has been taken away from us. We have no other economic choice but to work too much or to not have rest. But I think the sickness goes deeper than that. Because even for the folks in our world who have the choice for rest, we have set a cultural standard where we can't want it or crave it for ourselves. How many of you have had a conversation recently uh, where you asked someone how they were doing or they asked you how you were doing and at least one of you answered really busy? Really busy. For me, that is not just an answer, that is the typical answer people give when I ask that question. And it's not just that we're sharing with each other how busy we are, it's that we have entered into, I love this phrase, uh, the glorification of busy. We are in conversations where we aren't just sharing that we're busy, we're, we're competing with how very busy we are. <laughs> we're saying to each other, oh, you didn't get any sleep last week? I got less than no sleep this last week. I have 10 extracurricular activities. I worked until 9 p.m. on Tuesday. I worked until midnight, right? I'm taking no days off next week. We are glorifying busy, and I don't think it's because we're jerks. <laughs> I think it's because we have been taught and we have internalized that our entire worth is in what we do and not in who we are. Our entire value as people, the way that we will be judged and the way that we should judge ourselves is as producers and consumers in this capitalist society and it can be measured by specific outputs of our work and it cannot be measured by our wholeness or our love or our rest. We are competing with each other because we are desperately empty inside. 
We want to feel loved, we want to feel whole, we want to feel valued, and we have been told that the only way we will is by proving how much we do. Sound familiar to anyone? We are living in an unhealthy world, but we are in being invited by God to a different one. We are invited by God to a different one that has a different rhythm of life, a rhythm that is creation and rest, creation and rest. That's what Sabbath is. That's what our scripture is about today and what so many scriptures in the Bible are about, this practice of taking Sabbath one day out of seven on which no work will be done. No production will be achieved. No output will be yours to claim. You won't work, you'll just be. And that, says God, is my gift to you and my command for your life. That you live like you aren't a human doing, but a human being. And rest is a part of your rhythm. Sabbath has a long and complicated history throughout the Bible, especially for Christians who follow the New Testament as well as the Hebrew Bible. But it starts out right at the beginning, right in Genesis 2. God sets the standard for Sabbath when in the first chapters, God creates the world. And it says God creates it, right, with joy and delight and with beauty. God creates the cows and the birds and the sun and the moon and the stars. And God creates us and says, what a good job I did. Right? How great are these things? How great are these people? How great is this world? And God takes a day to rest. God takes a day to rest and says, this is the rhythm of this universe I have made. Creation and rest, creation and rest. There are a lot of definitions of Sabbath, but the best I've heard is one from Doris Ann Cooper, um, which is not about oh, making sure you measure the number of hours that you do this kind of work or don't do this kind of work or that you don't do this light switch or you don't do this bread. It's the week is not complete until rest has been a part of it. That's what having Sabbath practice means in your life, that your week is not complete until rest has been a part of it. And God invites us to that rhythm by living that rhythm God's self. The next time you are feeling like, oh no, I can't take rest, right? I can't take a day off. I am necessary. I am needed. The world will fall apart, right? Without my email, without my production. Remember that even God rested. And so, of course, you are invited to rest as well. When you have the choice, which not all of us do, but when you have the choice. If God rested, so can you take that opportunity. And then it doesn't talk about Sabbath for a little while. The scriptures kind of leave it off the table. It may have been a part of the rhythm of the generations of Abraham, of Joseph, of Noah, of all the other people that we meet. But it comes up again explicitly here. When the Israelite people are in the wilderness, when Moses has led them out under call of God from slavery and oppression and terror and generations of being made into objects by the Pharaoh of Egypt, that is when God brings Sabbath back up again. God gives a list of commandments, which we can think of in a number of ways, right? Laws, rules, guidelines, gifts. It's another debate for another time. Um, but fourth in the row comes this one. You will keep a Sabbath. You will keep a day for rest. You will keep a day that's not about what you do, but who you are and about being restored, turning it all off and unplugging so that you can come back. And I think it's no accident that it comes in this 
time when the people have spent their lives and their parents' lives and their grandparents' lives being dehumanized and told that they are tools of the empire in Egypt. Right? That's when God gives them this reminder of Sabbath, when they have experienced the extraordinary oppression that is human bondage. When Moses first approaches the Pharaoh to let the people go, what Pharaoh keeps saying over and over again, the way that Pharaoh punishes them is by making them work more, by increasing their output, by treating them as if they are not human beings, not worthy, not valuable, but objects and tools to be put to their limits. And it is in that context, it is in that society, that broken place, that God reminds the people, what is for you is rest. And that rest is not just for individuals. That rest isn't just for each one of us alone. That rest is for all of us to build as a community, to build as a society, to build as a culture. What does it say? Does it say, hey, make sure that you take a day and sit in a prayer room so that you feel good? No, that's a good, that's not a bad thing, right? It says, take a Sabbath, and when you take a Sabbath, so will your workers. And when you take a Sabbath, so will your siblings. And when you take a Sabbath, so will your friends and your cows and your horses. And a few verses later, the Sabbath is even extended to the land itself. The land will get to lay fallow every seven years because this is a part of my gift and this is a part of my promise, says God. Everything gets to rest because its value is not about what it does but about who you are, which is my beloved creation, and I want you to rest and be restored in that love and grace that I have for you. It's a gift, and the gift keeps on giving and keeps on going. And while Jesus questions certain ways that the Sabbath is practiced in his day, right? he chooses to heal people on the Sabbath when there's others who would say that he shouldn't. Every religious community has its uh, disagreements and divisions. He still keeps it and honors it and honors times of rest and goes up to the mountaintop with his friends and goes into the temple on the Sabbath and says, rest is a part of who we are. Doing, 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 work, work, work is not how we achieve salvation or grace because grace and salvation are by definition things that can never be achieved but only found, but only lived into. There are 10 commandments and most of the rest are either thou shall or thou shalt not, right? They are about actions. This fourth commandment, the Sabbath, is the only one that begins remember. It doesn't say do the Sabbath or undo non-Sabbath. It says remember the Sabbath. You don't have to do anything except notice. <laughs> Sabbath and shalom and peace are already the reality of our lives, the reality of this world, the reality of what God has offered us. And what is necessary to find rest is to take off all the stuff we've put in between us and rest. All the stuff we put in between us and Sabbath, our worries, our anxieties, our work, our tasks, and find it there waiting for us. We just have to remember. Uh, there's a guy named John Francis who some of you may have heard of. We have a picture that'll come up in a second. Um, you may have seen his TED talk or heard other things that he's put out there. John Francis, when he was um, a graduate student in the early 90s, uh, saw, was driving along, or maybe he was walking, he was on a street and saw uh, an oil spill on his street. A truck had, uh, had, had gone into another and oil spilled all across. And as he watched the black oil 
spread, he said, he realized that we could not keep living <laughs> addicted to oil. And so he just made a choice that he was not going to use any cars or trucks or motorized vehicles to get around. And he started walking everywhere. And he started getting called the walker for Earth. And so he's walking everywhere, and he's making this witness, and he's talking publicly about this witness. And it starts to change his life, right? By um, exempting himself, by changing the routine of the society, the routine of the world he lives in, and adopting a different routine, he finds himself spiritually nourished. He finds himself influential in his community. And he's loving it. And a few years into that, he starts to realize that the way that, the way that he puts it is that the way that he's communicating with other people um, doesn't reflect the person that he wants to be. He finds himself arguing constantly and acting cruelty, and most important, not listening at all to what other people are saying. And so he says, all right, I'm gonna do with this, uh, what I did with the oil, I'm gonna not talk for a day. I'll communicate, but I won't talk. I'm going to not talk for a day. And the day feels so good, <laughs> he doesn't talk for another day. And then he makes a commitment to not talk for a year. And then he says, every day on my birthday, I will reflect. I'll check in with myself. I'll see whether talking is right for me this year or not. And he does that every birthday. And for 17 years, he doesn't speak. For 17 years. And he communicates, right? He builds friendships. He writes a lot but he doesn't speak into the world because he feels like our assumption that that's what you need to do to communicate, our assumption that you need to talk in order to listen, he wants to disrupt that for himself a little bit. And then he decides that it's time for him to start talking again, that spiritually he's in a place where he can do that and be whole and be fruitful. And I heard an interview with him after that time, after he had spent these 17 years in silence, and the interviewer said to him, it must have been so interesting because silence is so hard to find in our world, right? There are no spaces of silence. Everything's always going. Everyone's always moving around. And John said, you know, actually what I found is that silence is pervasive. Silence is everywhere. But most of us are never quiet enough to hear it. It's not the silence that's missing. It's our noticing of it. It's our attention to it. It's our embrace of it and intention for it that we miss. And I think the same might be true of peace. The same might be true of Sabbath, that some sense of Sabbath rest and peace is pervasive. But most of us have never stopped for long enough to feel it, to see it, or to bring it into our lives. We are so busy proving ourselves <laughs> to people to whom we can never prove ourselves that we're forgetting the Sabbath we're supposed to remember. There's another barrier between us and this rest that we are offered and promised, and it's not in us, it's in the world. Many of us, right, um, can't stop working because we need food and to live. <laughs> or our workplace doesn't account for sick leave or parental leave or mental health crises or I need a day. We are in a society that has oriented itself away from rest, away from Sabbath, away from being restored. And the only way we're going to get a little bit of rest back in our lives is if we bring the intention to get it for ourselves, but also the intention to get it for everyone. 
the intention to change the culture and change the world so that it is one that values rest and restoration over harm and production and proving ourselves in ways that are hurting all of us. There are things we can do by living a different routine, even if it's just a bit, even if you find an hour a day, if you find an afternoon a week of Sabbath, of peace, when you start to live in a way that is different from the routine and start to invite people to live that way with you, you can change the world. <laughs> you can have great influence, and most of all, you can invite people to find what you have found yourself, which is that rest is something we deserve, Rest is something we are offered. Rest is a gift. I feel like I've been watching this happening over the course of the last few weeks in something that's not quite Sabbath, but is an interruption of how we think things have to be, um, which is Colin Kaepernick, the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, demonstration against police brutality and violence towards black people and lives in America um, by taking a knee, well, initially sitting, and now taking a knee during the national anthem. This was something, right, that a lot of athletes sort of like hadn't thought about at all. It was just the routine. It was just how the world works. You just stand during this time, and like that's how it is, and that's what happens. And Colin decides to exempt himself from routine and instead live into the world that he believes is necessary to make a demonstration of a different way that he is living, um, of an injustice that he thinks needs to be elevated, and in the last couple of weeks, a lot of people have started to join him, right? We've got soccer players, we've got volleyball players, we've got football players on multiple teams now who have followed that call to say, let's not live by routine, but live with intention for the world that we want to live in. Let us demonstrate to the powers that be that the only source of power isn't the one that they think. There is power in exempting ourselves. There is power in being clear about who we are and what we think the world should be like. And I'm taking that to heart as I think about this different thing, this thing that is rest and reflection and resistance. We're going to talk about all three during the Sabbath sermon series. But that is a conviction that rest is not just okay, but good and required and should be a part of everyone's rhythm. And we can make that happen for each other. That you are not, never have been, and never will be your work. And to believe that is only going to lead you into pain. You are, always have been, and always will be God's. And God wants for you wholeness. God wants for you peace. God wants for you to see the Sabbath at the center of the universe and to connect to it regularly. This is the gift. And this is a gift that we were uh, trying to communicate a little bit about on Friday. Some of you may know. Um, we were out doing blessings on Friday. Uh, wait. Oh, here. I'm going to show you something. Um, we stocked the uh, Apple stores where the iPhone 7s were coming out, and both of them are also near train stations. So we went out into the streets, went out into the public, and said, we will bless your tools of work. For many of you, that's going to be your phone. And we want to bless it so that you have new intention for it. We have these stickers that say, may this device be a means of connection, authenticity, wholeness, and peace. And we prayed with people for all kinds of things. I ended up praying with people over uh, hats, beloved hats, grocery carts, bags, um, hands that needed to do healing, hearts that needed to do healing, 
bodies that were being sent into job interviews. We blessed a lot of things that they might be means of connection, authenticity, wholeness, and peace, and that by bringing a little intention into it, we might change the way we live and change the way we encourage others to live. That we might know when to pick this up to do good work, and we might know when to put it down to rest and be restored. So we have those stickers that you can put on anything, whatever interrupts you from your Sabbath, I don't know, could be your refrigerator, could be your counter, could be your bike, I don't know your life, but you can take a sticker at any time, they'll be passed around. And right now, if you want to put your phone forward, if you want to lift it up, we'll feel like we're at a concert, um, we're going to bless them. Yeah, see? Good for you. God of grace, God of mercy, God of justice. Whatever the tools may be that we are using this week, whatever the life may be that we are seeking to live, help us to lead with intention and to know that we are not our work, we are not our tools, but we are yours. We are agents of change, but we are also receivers of rest. Help us to find your love and your grace, your connection, authenticity, wholeness, and peace in all that we do and all that we live. Help us to know when to put these things down and when to pick them up and how to use them to live lives that you intend for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.